Well, uh, we're on week two of our seedbed series, and today we're looking at the Bible specifically. And I remember when I was in third grade, my great-grandfather gave me my third grade Bible. Still have it today. Uh, it's falling apart from from age, not from use. Back in third grade, I don't think I, I saw uh, the importance of reading the Bible, but I, I still have it. Every time I see it, it, it reminds me uh, of my great-grandfather and my the church I grew up in. Uh, it takes me back to that day. In, inside the cover are the dates uh, written out of when I was saved and when I was baptized, important dates in my life. Uh, it mainly sits on my shelf in my office. It's a revised standard version. But this Bible here, it's the Bible I was reading when I was called to ministry in the book of Numbers, chapter 14. I, I underlined the verse, verse 9, uh, and it's I had better eyesight back then. It's a small print, but this is an NIV version of the Bible. But this is an important Bible in my, uh, in my life as well. And then uh, this was the Bible I was reading when I was called to become uh, an elder, a senior pastor, uh, I was reading in Deuteronomy at that point, and it was uh, Deuteronomy 1, verse 2. This is the New Living Translation. And so it's an important Bible in my life as well. And then when I came to uh, Canyon, uh, Linda Graybill gave me this Bible. It's the Bible I use in the pulpit. It's one of my favorites now. Uh, I hope to recover it eventually. Uh, it's a New Revised Standard Version, but I, I love this Bible and, and uh, use it often. And uh, this is the Bible that I'm currently reading in my everyday reading in our Bible reading plan that we have as a church. It's a common English Bible. It was uh, uh, edited by a friend of mine, Joel Green. Uh, I, it also has the Apocrypha in it, uh, the intertestamental books. And uh, But I, I love this Bible. It's a great translation as well. And I'm often asked as a, as a pastor, which translation of the Bible should I use? Which translation should I read? Uh, because most of you know that the, the Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew and the New Testament was written primarily in Greek. So unless you know how to read Hebrew or Greek, you're going to have to read a translation of the Bible. And we have a number of different translations out there. Uh, translated into English and various other languages throughout the world. And translators spend an enormous amount of time trying to make sure that that translation is accurate. In fact, I want to quote from uh, Craig Bloomberg on this issue of, of translation because I think it's a, a great uh, excerpt. He's a, a Bible scholar. He says this, Except for aberrant translations produced by sects or cults to promote their distinctive doctrines, Every Bible on the market today is sufficiently faithful in its translation so, so that its readers can learn all of the fundamental truths of Christianity accurately. I like that. But most translations out there, they're, they're accurate enough for you to get a flavor for Christianity and what it means. So here are Rick's rules for picking a Bible translation. Pick one that you will read and read it. That's it. If you like the King James Version and you like reading it and you can understand King James, go for it. If you need something a little easier to read because of the language, read it. 
But it is my hope that you fall in love with the Bible, that it becomes your rule and your guide for life. John Wesley, the the founder of Methodism, he states it this way. I love this quote. Oh, give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. I love that quote from Wesley. And And when it comes to the Bible, this book, we believe as Christians that it is inspired by God. That that term inspiration, it means the belief that God is the source behind biblical writings and acted through the Holy Spirit with biblical writers and editors to communicate what God wished to communicate. And we're going to return to this idea of inspiration in a moment. But first, I want to look at what the United Methodist Church says about the Bible. This is found in our Book of Discipline, which is kind of our our rule book. And it's Article 4 in our Confession of Faith and the title, The Holy Bible. We believe the Holy Bible, Old and New Testaments, reveals the Word of God so far as it is necessary for our salvation. It is to be, be received through the Holy Spirit as the true rule and guide for faith and practice. Whatever is not revealed in or established by the Holy Scriptures is not to be made an article of faith, nor is it to be taught as essential to salvation. So I agree. I I love this statement. I believe that God's Word contains everything necessary for our salvation, everything we need to know about who God is, who we are, who we are in God, uh, and, and what it requires. It is contained in this book. That's important. And I believe the Bible is one grand story. I love the way my friend Sean Gladding puts it. He says the Bible is a story of God and the story of us. And that is so true. But I want to return again to John Wesley as he speaks about the Bible. And this is in one of Wesley's sermons entitled The Means of Grace. He says this about Scripture. The same truth, namely that this is the great means God has ordained for conveying his manifold grace to man, is delivered in the fullest manner that can be conceived, in the words which immediately follow. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Consequently, all scripture is infallibly true and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, to the end that the man of God may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Wesley is using our same text for his sermon that we're using here uh, from 2 Timothy. So I'm going to read again this text from 2 Timothy. I'm going to start with verse 14, a little bit earlier, uh, 14 through 17. And here in 2 Timothy, Paul is talking to Timothy. He's mentoring this uh, friend of his, this younger mentee. And as Paul is talking to Timothy, he says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is inspired. Inspired, again, it means God-breathed. There's a sense of mystery in this, but this this idea that God breathed into the authors and editors of the Bible, His, His very Spirit, so that they would say what He wanted them to say. 
Now, I do not believe that this means that God dictated word for word what the authors wrote in Scripture. Just a, a cursory reading through the Bible helps you see that there are, are many different ways that the authors wrote, the many different authors. There's, there's all kinds of poetry and prose and narrative and different things. Um, it has so many different styles of writing and different authors throughout. No, what I think it means is that God used each person, their, their personality, their writing style, their time in history, and the writing of Scripture. And, and I think that's amazing. I think that's pretty cool. But think about it. God does the same thing now even with us. We all have different personalities and ways of speaking, but God's Spirit can use each of us if we allow Him to speak God's love into us and into others. The other reason that I don't believe that God dictated uh, word for word what should be put in our Bible is that there are some inconsistencies. And, and so the question is, how do we deal with these inconsistencies? One of those is, uh, just let me give you an example. At the end of the Gospel of Mark, we have several different endings. And in fact, in your Bible, you might have a, a footnote uh, of, of those different endings. Here's what my Bible says in the footnote. It says, some of the most ancient authorities bring the book to a close at the end of verse 8. One authority concludes the book with a shorter ending. Others include the shorter ending and then continue with 9 through 20. And so there's these different endings in the book of Mark. Which one is right? We're, we're not 100% sure which one is right. Uh, but, but think about this. Um, we do have these different endings. How do we deal with that? Uh, another example is in the Gospel of John, the story of the adulterous woman in uh, uh, chapter 8. It's a great story, but in my footnote, and probably in yours too, it will probably say that the, the oldest manuscripts of John that we have do not include the story. And sometimes the story is placed in other parts, and, and in one uh, uh, manuscript, it's actually in the Gospel of Luke. And so, so there's variations as well. So again, I ask, what do we do with these inconsistencies? First, I'd say this, don't panic. Uh, it's going to be okay. In fact, the church has known of these inconsistencies for centuries. This isn't something we're just figuring out. And there hasn't been a conspiracy to hide these inconsistencies. In fact, most Bibles noted at the bottom where there is an inconsistency. But here's how I deal with them. Um, I know that our scriptures have been handed down over the centuries. And we have about 5,500 ancient manuscripts of our New Testament. Not the originals, but uh, copies. And uh, sometimes scribes made errors when copying their works. They didn't have copy and paste like we do today. Most of the time, these scribes made errors that were accidental, uh, like they misspelled a word or they skipped a line or they translated a word incorrectly. Uh, but sometimes they made deliberate changes for theological reasons. And biblical scholars are able to sort through these different manuscripts and errors and come up with what we was most likely the correct interpretation. But here's the point I want to make. In fact, I'm quoting from another Bible scholar, uh, Timothy Paul Jones, because I, I think he sums up nicely what I think about it. He says this, In every case in which two or more options remain possible, in a manuscript that is, every possible option simply reinforces truths that are already clearly present in the writings of that particular author and in the New Testament as a whole. There's no point at which any of the possible options would require readers to rethink an essential belief about Jesus or to doubt the historical integrity 
of the New Testament. I think that's important to understand. None of these inconsistencies uh, are are uh, substantial in what they are. So these differences or inconsistencies are not highly significant. They don't alter our faith or our practice. And this is the crucial point. But I want to go back to Paul again as he's writing to Timothy, as he's instructing Timothy on what to do with the Word of God. And it's important. And he says five things specifically. And so I'm going to use these five points for us as well as we talk about the Bible and its rule or faith for us. The first is this. All Scripture is God-breathed. It is the inspired Word of God. We need to treat it as such. Second, it is able to make you wise for salvation. It's able to instruct you, to give you wisdom for salvation. This book we have from God, this inspired Word, is able to make us wise and shows us the way to, to God through Jesus Christ. And that's the third thing. Scripture offers this salvation through Jesus Christ. It is pointing to Jesus, both the Old and New Testament, this grand story that is pointing to Jesus. And uh, it, it, is, it is in this that we read Scripture. Christ is the center of this book, uh, our salvation. For it is useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So our beliefs, what we confess with our mouth, and our actions, what we actually do, are, are should be formed through a biblical lens and a biblical worldview. They're both grounded in the Word. And fifth, so that, all of that, so that we may be proficient and equipped for good work. We have been called to read this book so that we can know the truth of God and how to live it and how to share it with the world. I think that's so, so important for us to understand. So I'm going to leave us with the words of John Wesley again. Oh, give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. So what is your next step? As we've been talking in the seedbed series, these are the foundations of our faith. The Bible is our foundation of our faith. What is your next step? If you aren't reading the Bible, please do so. Read it. Start anywhere you want to. I would encourage you to start the Gospel of John or maybe in the New Testament. Uh, we have a Bible reading plan that we're going through right now. You can just pick up where we are right then. Don't, don't worry about trying to catch up. Just start where we are now. Uh, but begin to read it. And if you need a Bible, we have some here at the church. Uh, contact us. We'll get one to you. We'll mail it to you. Uh, and don't stress if you don't understand something. It's hard reading sometimes. It's dealing with cultures that we're not sure about. Uh, and so, uh, but keep at it. But like any discipline, it takes time. You know, you might, uh, if you're in a grow group, which I would encourage you to be in a group, share those questions and doubts and y'all wrestle together to understand. You can always come and ask me and we can wrestle together. I don't have all the answers, but I do love this book and, uh, and it is our rule of faith and our guide. And I hope we treat it as such. Uh, let's pray as we end today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this word, inspired that is uh, breathed by the Spirit of God. Lord, may it be our rule in faith. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.